Hey everyone, quickly, before we start the episode, there's a link to a listener survey in the description to this episode. I really want to make sure the things I'm doing well, I keep doing, and things you think I can improve are improved. It takes about two minutes. There's also a section that's completely voluntary, which might take a little longer, but it is completely voluntary. I value your feedback and want your help to make putting it together the best it can possibly be. Okay, let's get into the episode. Welcome back to Putting It Together, the podcast that discusses Stephen Sondheim's entire body of work chronologically, show by show, and song by song. My name is Kyle Marshall, and I'm trying my best to do a high kick. I'm failing. Last week, we came to the end of our discussion of West Side Story, but because the film is so iconic, I wanted to have a complete discussion of the film itself. So, I had lined up a guest, and hopefully he isn't embarrassed by this, but I invited Daniel Melville-Jones, who is my co-host on the podcast Assumptions. That's a show where I, an atheist, and he, a devout Christian, have an open conversation about our worldviews. No yelling. But because he's so busy with school, he had to pull out. I guess Jesus failed him. I kid. Then I invited on my friend Jen Hall, who just started her own online business called Quote Pigeon. I'll leave a link in the description. It's a way to send a real typewritten note to your friends and family. It's a really cool concept. But then she slipped on the ice and fractured her ankle. So unless you wanted to hear somebody talk about West Side Story high on T3s, we thought it would be better to get somebody else. Which is when I put out the call on the Alberta Podcast Network's Slack channel, and to my rescue flew Shane Lawrence of the Ed Podcast. He'll talk about that in the episode, but it's definitely something I check out, especially if you're in the education field yourself. It turned out really well, especially because this was such a short notice, and I had to record this in between two meetings I had, but we made it work. But before we get to that, I should mention some of our sponsors this week. I already mentioned the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. But in case you've never heard of them, they promote and support Alberta-made podcasts and connect their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. So go and listen to all the great shows at albertapodcastnetwork.com. Our first sponsor is Back to School Again. Back to School Again is hosted by Katrina Ingram and is presented by Norquest College. She interviews people who have returned to the classroom in midlife and chronicles her own journey as an adult who finds herself back in school. Think of that Rodney Dangerfield movie where he goes back to school. Oh man, what was that called? I think it was Ladybugs. Anyway, Back to School Again comes out every two weeks, and you can read the show notes and subscribe at backtoschoolagain.ca. Our other sponsor this week is ATB. Do you think your business has that X-factor potential? ATBX is a program that puts entrepreneurs and their business through an accelerated program to help them grow. With everything from mentoring and advising to providing office space, ATBX can help advance your business and your goals. So, let me pitch you on something. A remake of West Side Story, but I play every part. Like Eddie Murphy in The Nutty Professor, except it's me in West Side Story. It's both absolutely unnecessary and supremely tone-deaf to the people from Puerto Rico. But think of the new stories. Anyway, you can find out more information at www.atb.com atbx. 
Also, quick announcement. I'm taking a bit of a break over the next few weeks because of Christmas, and then this show will return on December 26th to begin talking about Gypsy. So don't get too upset when you don't see any new episodes for the next short while. Thanks to our sponsors, let's listen to a bit from the trailer to West Side Story, and then we'll get into my conversation with Shane about the film of West Side Story. Shane Lawrence, thank you so much for joining me here today. Well, thank you very much for having me, Kyle. Yeah, this is, I mean, to pull the curtain back a little bit is very short notice because I intended to have, not that you're you're the dregs or anything like that, but <laughs> well, I uh, might be. <laughs> I had a couple other people lined up and both of them had to cancel right at the last minute. So you very graciously uh, said yes when I, when I sent out the call for people to come and join me to talk about just the film of West Side Story. But before we get too far, maybe you can introduce yourself and tell people what it is that you do. Sure, sure. Well, as you said, my name is uh, Shane Lawrence. I uh, am a teacher and also a podcaster. I um, host the Ed Podcast, which is a weekly podcast where I talk with uh, different teachers about what they do. And uh, we also do a a once a month uh, check-in. So we just talk with people in the building and just kind of, it's a casual conversation where we just uh, sit around and just talk about our last month, what went well, what didn't. And uh, yeah, good reflective practice. So we have a really good time doing that. And uh, yeah, I teach uh, junior high mostly, drama and uh Computers and film studies. So this okay, so is a lot, a lot of stuff. Eh, it's a little bit. It's not too bad. I mean, this semester is just drama and computers. And then, yeah, next semester I get into my film study stuff. But so I, I'm really actually excited about this whole podcast today because I, I mean, I'm not I'm not going to say I'm glad the other people fell through because I know someone broke their ankle. But so I, I would never wish them ill. But uh, I'm excited because uh, West Side Story, um, I'm a big fan of. I love West Side Story. Mm. Um, I actually got the chance to direct it. Um, quite a while back, but uh, for a high school for a high school musical production, and um, I'm not bragging or anything, but our, our musical productions are pretty freaking awesome. So that was uh, an amazing experience. So I definitely have a, a real love love for the the topic today. Well, let's get this. You might just be the best person that could have been on here in the first place. <laughs> um, what what is your history with West Side Story, other than directing it, but maybe even as like a a film fan, because it sounds like you you know teach that or film course. Mm -hmm. What uh, yeah, what's your history with West Side Story? Oh well, I mean, I've never brought it into the film studies class, but as far as you know, a lover of film. I mean, I remember watching West Side Story, the film, for the first time, and the one scene that always kind of stuck on my mind was um, not even not even the 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 gym, the the mambo but the transition into it and just some of the weird photographic techniques they used in that. So, uh, and that just, it was just, it was so trippy and strange. And I was like, this is, it was so unusual for a film musical to look like that. So that just kind of got just stuck in my head. And uh, so then I, you know, when I started teaching, I kind of revisited it and I kind of fell deeper in love with it. And like, this is the thing I want to do. This is what I want to direct on the stage. Cause it's such an intense crazy show and it's just it's so different it's so different than most other musicals yeah it was just it's just something that i just i just have a real love for the visuals and for i love the music it's uh again it really stands out it's it doesn't fit the typical um musical mold so there's a lot of reasons why I just, I kind of like it's sort of a, it's status is kind of an outlier, I guess. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we've had many conversations on this first season of putting it together on just how 
different the the lyrics really are and and I, I the approach that both Leonard Bernstein and Stephen Sondheim took to making this you know piece of art that didn't really I guess change New York City when it first debuted on Broadway but how the movie a few years later really did seep into just the popular psyche of people. I think still to this day, if you see a certain dance move, people are going to be like, oh, that's West Side Story. Like mm-hmm. They kind of just know it innately. Like, oh, I know where that's from, whether or not they've seen the movie or not even. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're ever in the middle of a fight and you just suddenly bust out a pirouette, it's like, yep, there's West Side Story right there. Which is how I start all my fights. It's, <laughs> it's quite odd. Is it why you lose all your fights too, Edwin? <laughs> I lose all my fights. I do a pirouette and then just get smoked right in the face. It's not, uh, it's not a pretty sight. What I think we'll do here then is go kind of like uh, scene by scene through this and, and discuss some of the, the techniques that were used. I am going to be the first person to admit that I am going to use the descriptions or the write-up that is on Wikipedia as of December 5th, 2018, or sorry, December 4th, uh-huh. <laughs> December 4th of 2018. So it could have changed in the, in the meantime. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll admit I was, I was also trolling Wikipedia today for this. Oh, good. <laughs> so how things start here, at least in the movie, which I mean, it's an interesting way that things start in that it's, they kind of just do this overture over like this weird, like screen that changes colors and then, these weird objects starting to like fly into place till it eventually says, this is West Side Story that you're watching Mm. uh, before it actually gets into the film proper. But something that I really love that the movie does is that we do this kind of like flyover, right? It's like this bird's eye view of the streets of New York City and you hear in the distance like whistling and cat calls. And that really brings us into this dynamic that the show is trying to do and the write-up here is that it's the summer of 1957 it's in the west side's lincoln square neighborhood in manhattan there's this tension between a white american gang the jets led by riff and a puerto rican gang the sharks led by bernardo and after a brawl erupts lieutenant shrank and officer kupke arrive to break it up so this is the entire prologue scene and introduction to uh to the movie but also i think in many ways the stuff that really stands out in people's minds this is the that scene that is often captured on the posters and definitely when i've said this a few times before but if the oscars ever does like a best of package it's usually a scene from this point in west side story that they like to grab from it Um, but anything that immediately jumps to mind here during the opening prologue well okay so i was actually going through and reviewing the films I haven't. I uh, I'll confess I haven't seen this in, in a while, but mm-hmm. so I wanted to refamiliarize myself with it. And the thing that really caught me in the opening is, I mean, they were working real hard to make sure that you knew this was a movie and not a stage play. Right. I mean, it's it's very cinematic. Um, even you know, just like you say, that way they open with that that wide shot of the city. You know, they're very much about getting away from. Uh, sort of, you know, the, the confines of, of a proscenium arch theater, right? They want to make sure that you know that this is a film. I mean, you even watch the way that they build a lot of the dance numbers. And I mean, they're they're destroying the scene geography all the time, like because they'll jump up in one spot and they'll jump down in a com- and they'll land in a completely different area. Right. You know, right. And they do this over and over again, all the way through just to kind of let you know, this is not... Yeah, you're watching a movie, and and so I really like that about it. It's very dynamic. There's a ton of camera movement. They're just chasing, you know, chasing everybody around. They cover a tremendous amount of uh, of geography. Uh, yeah, I, I just I I love the way it jumps in. I mean, it's a little weird because you got these tough guys that are like you know snapping and you know doing pirouettes while they're fighting. Sure, but um, 
they they break uh, they break it into enough of a a cinematic space that that it's okay it makes sense you realize this is another world yeah i mean yeah it's it's really showing off that this is like dance like aggressive dancing mm-hmm. to really simulate that that idea of the gangs and and being at odds with one another but i think you're right in that they really need to make sure that this was a film and being portrayed as a film and I think it could have gone either way. We have Jerome Robbins, who was the director of the stage show, brought on to be the director of the movie, which that doesn't happen very often anymore, I wouldn't think. Uh, but is able to be like, I can translate this into a different medium because now what I can do is, yes, I can still use these dance movements to great effect, but I can also do close-ups or mm-hmm. faraway shots and really direct the viewer's eye to exactly what I want them to focus on. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, I mean, I did a little bit of digging as well. And I mean, they shot the whole thing in 70 millimeter. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it gives them this huge field of view. So, yeah, you've got these like these shots where, sorry, my daughter is in the room. I apologize. Oh, that's right. Um, What's her thoughts on West Side Story? Uh, she's never seen it. She's she's more into, at this point, we could probably talk like, well, definitely Mulan. That would be, Mulan, right. that'd be number <laughs> one. We could talk Mulan, right, honey? Yeah. Yeah. She's nodding. <laughs> uh, anyway. Yeah, they got these shots though where like he loves to like sort of fill the frame in this really tight close-up, but you can always see what's going on around them too, right? And you can't you can't do that with a smaller film stock so or a smaller uh, format. So, you know, I, I again I love the way they constructs the frame. And, you know, I sorry, I'm just nerding out about sort of the technical side, but I mean I love oh, that's great. I love Technicolor. Oh. I know. I, I I it's I guess I'm just of a certain age and I know that there are people out there that have this somewhat of a version to what they consider like older movies, mm-hmm. but I don't know what it is. I just like the look <laughs> of the yeah. colors in the movie and something that is sometimes my my go-to criticism of modern films is like I just don't like the color palette. Why is everything so dark? Like why yeah, why yeah. can't we brighten this up sort of thing? I actually just did a rewatch of Mary Poppins the other day too and it's like, "Oh, I just like how things are being portrayed in this film. I don't have to squint while I'm watching this movie." Regardless, we we see these two gangs get separated by by the cops and Rift decides that his best friend Tony, the co-founder of the Jets, who left the gang, should come and fight on their behalf. So Riff goes and visits Tony and invites him to the dance that's going to happen later that night. Tony is a bit uninterested, and he tells Riff that he senses something important will happen, which Riff suggests could have a correlation with the dance. Uh, so this is actually basically segues into the song Something's Coming, which is the first song that, that Tony sings. And what I find so fascinating, and this is actually true on the stage version too, but they they don't actually have Tony do a whole lot of movement he still does some movement but they stay pretty contained in like the stairwell that he's like unloading packages inside of so it's like this almost like internal conflict that's going on with tony even in the film frame yeah i mean he's i mean it's it's all about his anticipation i mean it's a very internally focused song so i mean it makes sense that you're just gonna you're gonna stay with him and i mean the, the other side of this too is that i mean he, uh, like the the name of who portrays tony in this film i'm looking it up right now because i need to um richard Bamer. okay so he Thank you. <laughs> I mean, he sells it i mean he's like he's gorgeous he's a good looking dude right. so you know close-ups of richard Bamer all day long that's fine that's fine so um he does he'll be just he just sells it so well like you can just see you know, you can read every single thought right on his face. Fun fact, he didn't actually do the singing for that, though. He did not. No, we've been telling people that, that even though Richard Bamer is the one who portrays him, it is, uh, oh my gosh, the name is blanking on me right now and who actually sings it for him. But yeah, uh, different singer entirely. 
Yeah, but uh, nonetheless, I think you know, performance-wise, it's 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 a good decision just to have you know get right in there on his face and just you know let us see what he's feeling. It's a big it's a big moment, right? This kind of mm-hmm. defines everything. Well, something that even more defines what's going on in this movie, I think, is when we segue to Bernardo's younger sister. We see Maria for the first time. And she's telling Bernardo's girlfriend, Plate, who is Anita, how excited she is about this dance that's coming up. Uh, and so at the dance itself, we have these two gangs, of course, that are there and they're doing this little dance off thing. Uh, the, the recurring joke with the people I've had on the on the show here to discuss it is I just love the fact that in the middle of this dance scene, there is a call for like mambo someone shows a mambo and then they don't actually mambo at all <laughs> it's a completely <laughs> different dance that they do uh-huh. uh, but besides that I, this is one of my all-time favorite scenes in any movie mm-hmm. which i think in a, in another person's hands might come off as cheesy but i just like how what they do is that when maria comes in for the first time tony caesar and they basically do that fade of everybody else yeah and they just stay in focus on those two people which is something that you couldn't do on a stage production you'd probably just have like the rest of the uh, of the people basically move off stage or farther back or dim the lights or something like that you mm-hmm. can do it that way but this is just a very visual the uh movie type thing that you can do to really show the importance of those two characters seeing each other for the first time yeah and i mean you know it's this this is romeo and juliet right so that's right and it, it's it it echoes you know i think uh it reminds reminds me of well, I mean, this is backwards, but it reminds me of, you know, that moment in, in Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet where he sees her. I mean, they don't quite do the Fado thing, but it's a very typical, it still seems reminiscent of that sort of like, eh, the whole world just kind of fades away. You know, she doth teach the torches to burn bright. Right, you know? right. So, yeah, right. so yeah, that, that moment's, again, Penis, and I, I agree with what you say. Like, it's it's really cinematic. The other thing that that I like, and it's not even just this scene, but it's where it first kind of like just popped into my head is just... Oh, I'm going to sound so old and cranky and get off my lawn, but I'm going to say it. I love the way he shoots the dance scenes where it's just the camera just takes in what's happening and you can see it. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is, well, I think this entire podcast is going to be basically two old people saying get off my lawn, but, <laughs> uh, this is something that I return back to. And there's actually a really great YouTube video on this specifically. There is a YouTube channel called every frame of painting, which I well, definitely yeah. recommend people. Love they it. have stopped making new videos, unfortunately, but the stuff they have up there is phenomenal. And they actually use Jackie Chan as an example. And I'm going to get to a point here, even though I'm going up into Jackie Chan territory. That's all right. But they used the idea of how different like Hong Kong action films are versus Hollywood action films. And the big difference is that in Hollywood, basically every punch, there's going to be another cut that happens because they're on a schedule. They have to work really fast. They don't really have time to choreograph this so that they can just do it in one long take. So we're going to go shoot for two seconds. Okay, move camera, shoot for three seconds. Okay, move camera. And so they can just go fast through this fight scene. Whereas in a Jackie Chan movie, all that is happening in camera. And he might have to do the same scene 15 times in a row to get it exactly right. But he's going to do that to make that that effect happen. And I find that action sequences and and musicals have a bit of a corollary here because I, I find that in the best of musicals, a song number or a dance number is advancing story, just like how an action scene can advance story. So... Uh, yeah, we're not 
fast cutting. We're not doing maybe the Baz Luhrmann thing where we have to cut every couple seconds, the, that music video type of style editing. We're letting it like, we're showing you what these people are doing. These are trained dancers. They can do it. Let's just show what they can do. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's great. You can, you can really feel that when you see them do it. Well, I absolutely agree. I mean, it's, I think that kind of comes down to like what you're saying is, is, is the skill of the people in front of the camera too, right? But you can, if you don't have people who can fight or dance, then you do have to, you know, cut around them a lot mm-hmm. to sort of hide that fact. So yeah, I mean, That's there's right. like everybody in that gym can dance like, oh my goodness, everybody in the background and everybody like just, oh, it's, I got this thing for watching things in the background. It's like whenever, whenever there's a fight scene, I love watching the people in the background. I don't know why. Yeah, what are they uh, doing? Well, that's, usually they're just kind of jumping up and down and waving their fists a bunch just to make motion. Right. But, but uh, you know, in West Side Story, it's like everybody is just, they're dancing. It's, it's just gorgeous. And, and yeah, I mean, just the moment you hear that, da, da, ba, ba, da, ba, 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 yeah. like I just, I get shivers. <laughs> it's so good. Um, well, Bernardo kind of sees what's going on. He gets angry and sends Maria home. And then Riff proposes a meeting with Bernardo at Doc's at the drugstore. That's the drugstore that they like to go to. Mm-hmm. So even though Maria goes home, Anita then argues that uh, Bernardo is overprotective of Maria. And, and they compare the advantages of Puerto Rico and the United States. So this is the America scene that happens, which we've stated is different in the in the stage version. This actually comes a little bit quicker than it would do, when it does in the stage version itself. But that being said... As we've said many times, I believe this song, above all others, is the one song that feels so modern, even though this was a show that debuted over 60 years ago, Mm -hmm. that the song America could be written today and it would feel like, yeah, that was written yesterday. It feels of the moment. So it's really crazy how the more things change, the more they stay the same (laughs) in some of our and some of our institutions and politics. Oh, so encouraging, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I I think that it just it just shows how I don't know, forward thinking that Sondheim was specifically for writing these lyrics Mm -hmm. that uh it's cut so much to the bone, I think, of that experience, even though he's, Mm -hmm. you know, a white guy. Yeah, <laughs> upper middle class living in New York City, but he is still able to write from this Puerto Rican perspective that is still kind of prevalent and present in today's society. I just think that's kind of a fascinating reality that happens in that scene. The big thing I just wanted to call out of this scene is that I actually love that the movie version has it be more of a call and response between the males and the females because in the stage version it's just the female singing there's yeah. no call and response that happens but i think this actually improves the song to actually have that little bit of a of an argument that's happening between between them yeah i like that i mean there and there is like sort of a strong sort of male female dynamic throughout the film i mean anita is very much tied to um bernardo and maria is very much you know becomes very much uh tied to tony so i I like yeah that they're setting up that sort of opposition uh oppositional uh relationship right there and 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 also honestly like it just it makes for great visuals too right just the way they're dancing back and forth and it's almost like this fight on the rooftop and so it it works I, i agree with you i think it works better than the stage version does yeah Uh, So meanwhile, Tony discreetly visits Maria on her fire escape. This is essentially the balcony scene from Romeo and Juliet. Mm -hmm. And they kind of, you know, uh, this is uh, him professing his his love to her after she has to run away. Basically saying, uh, I want to basically run away with you and and be with you. How do you how do you uh, interpret this this scene of them finally meeting one on one? (laughs) Uh, It's. 
it doesn't stand out to me. It's, it, I don't think it's 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 a high point. I mean, here's the thing for me: the West Side Story for me, it's the music is when the film is at its best. Um, so this this scene was it was fine. Um, it it didn't do a lot for me. I'm not sure. gonna lie. <laughs> no, that's gonna, fair. It was it was fine. <laughs> I mean, this is, I mean, to, to go into some, some classic tropes here, mm-hmm. sometimes the issue I have with even just Romeo and Juliet, which at least to, in most presentations, they cast it with actors who might be in their late 20s to early 30s, mm-hmm. and it never really feels like it should be happening the way it's going. Yet, the couple of times I've actually seen a production, and there's one movie that was made where they actually cast actors that were in being teenagers, like 15, 16 years old. Yeah. That's when it feels a little bit more natural. And I was actually hoping with the new version of West Side Story being made that they were going to go kind of those young teenage actors. They've decided to again go the mid-20s route by the looks of things, mm-hmm. which, I mean, you have to sell a movie too. I understand that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think you're right. Like, this is them professing love. They sing tonight, of course, at, at this moment. And as much as I love that song, I think, yes, we still have to buy that these people are falling in love after only seeing each other once and then uh talking <laughs> one time yeah. here on the balcony but in movie land it's okay i think they again like because of the the groundwork they've laid with with the gym you know and the whole mm-hmm. fading background you buy it you kind of mm-hmm. have to right so next scene is the sharks have arrived at uh, docks uh the jets are already there and they agree that there's going to be this rumble there's just going to be this showdown to finally put an end to these disagreements that they're having which is a kind of an intense scene in and of itself. I, I guess the the quick question here: we don't have to belabor the point too much, but how do you how do these scenes work for you? In that, do you buy that there is a huge animosity between these two gangs? In the world where they dance fight, mm-hmm. yes, I right. do. I do. I mean, it's there is a certain kind of playfulness between them uh, that. I think they enjoy, they enjoy, you know, they enjoy the fight yeah. to a, to an extent. I mean, it, it goes sour obviously later on spoilers, right. but, um, I think at least at the outset, I mean, this is, this is what gives their lives purpose. So I think that, you know, they, they seem to be, I mean, especially like, you know, when, when Shrank comes in, the officer comes in, um, I mean, they're, they're just having a great time just pretending to be friends, right? It's, they, they haven't, you know, they just smiling and doing their thing because, mm-hmm. you know, the only, it, it, they come together on their mutual hatred of the police, I suppose. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I was going to write that down and forgot, but I do like that they return to that a couple of times where in a different world, they probably could be friends, but for whatever reason, they've just dug their heels in and have decided no. We're going to be mortal enemies from this point. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it, it's it doesn't come through because it's it's covered. I think that that veneer of of dance and song, which it's it's really hard to you know be hateful when you're dancing and singing. I think that's right. <laughs> um, I will say I'm going to shout out uh, George Shakiris, who plays Bernardo yeah. in this film, won an Oscar for this role. I just really love his portrayal of Bernardo. I think he's so good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, there's always this kind of like simmering hatred that he he plays it with, but. In a, in a weirdly, I feel like he's justified. Maybe that's just a modern me <laughs> feeling that now at this time. But I just yeah. there's there's something about the way that he portrays it that is just so engaging for me. Oh, I, I agree. I just uh, 
the, the one thing that was missing from your description, I think, is like nobility. Like he just seems yeah. very, very noble and, you know, he's very much, you know, by the rules and that sort of thing. He, he kind of loses his way, obviously, at the end, as he should, because tragedy, spoilers. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I just love just he does. He can do so much just with with his face. Right. He doesn't have to say anything. You look at him you're like, oh, ooh, you know, yeah, what's so, going on there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so the next day at the bridal shop, Anita accidentally tells Maria about the rumble. Tony arrives to see Maria, which shocks Anita, and they profess their love, and Anita warns them about the consequences if Bernardo learns of their relationship. This also leads into the song One Hand, One Heart, which is essentially their marriage, where <laughs> yeah. they envision themselves being married. So going yeah. pretty quickly here, they've known each other for about 24 hours at this point, uh, but already they're they're there. They're, we're committing each other, committing our lives to each other. So as a as a happily married man, how do we how do we feel about this? Well, I felt I was taking it quick when I proposed after eleven months. So okay. you know, <laughs> I can't say I was thinking about marriage after after twenty four hours. Right. Um, but you know, I I like it when uh, in a movie, you know, when when the setting really matters, either you know from a like a, a very sort of you know literal standpoint. Um, but even like from a symbolic standpoint, I mean, and it didn't feel forced, right? They just, you know, they were kind of dressed up. That's a very perfectly, you know, uh, not predictable, but like, it seems just like a suitable kind of environment for, you know, immigrant workers that that's kind of where they would be working at that time. Yeah. So it made sense for them to be there. And then all of a sudden it, you know, it, it sort of blends into the song and it becomes this, you know, very symbolic representation of the marriage without them having to, you know, actually have a wedding. So I, I I like it when that that kind of thing works. Maybe maybe a little a little, little heavy handed, but you know I I, I can roll that. I I liked it. I, we I can do it. it. Was, yeah, I thought it was, <laughs> I thought it was fine. I thought it was fine. Uh, well, this essentially leads into tonight two, uh, or the tonight quintet, depending on how you want to term it. But a bunch of different characters singing about what they're going to do that night, which then mm. leads straight into the rumble, where we have Riff and Bernardo start their knife fight and then tony joins them and tries to break it up which eventually leads to the death of riff mm-hmm. by accident and then of course tony turns the knife and kills bernardo because of that mm-hmm. killing these two people uh and then they scatter once they hear sirens kind of similar to like the like the prologue and even the dance at the gym like this is really a dance sequence more than it is anything else a really mm-hmm. high-end choreography of showing all of this stuff happening but talking about the direction again, what I love about it, especially when they scramble away, is their use of essentially Dutch angles where it's like a, a tilted camera. So all the angles seem really weird and off. So you can start to see like the breakdown of the psyches of these characters just because of the way that they've placed the camera. Mm-hmm. Well, and in this, you know, when we kind of go to the nighttime, when things start getting bad i just love how how grimy everything gets too yeah i mean like lots of really harsh light and i mean everyone just seems to just be sweating and they're dirty you know and it's just i mean it's that physical manifestation of sort of the internal self which you know they're just emphasizing but i i love that i love it it's just like it just makes everything feel just that much more desperate because they're all just (laughs) just so sweaty (laughs) that's right that's right um so this leads directly, I mean, if this was the stage version, we would have had an intermission at this point. But once we come back from intermission, Maria's singing I Feel Pretty because mm-hmm. she's like getting ready to go and meet Tony. She's so excited. Uh, very famously, Sondheim hates his own lyrics to this song. But that's... <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, he, he believes that they're too 
poetic. He doesn't like how flowery the language is and doesn't think she would actually use the certain words that she actually uses in the song, which he is very stringent on of characters using words they would actually use in real life. Um, Be that as it may, it's this upbeat song, which then is very much undercut as soon as it ends because Chino comes in and tells them, hey, this happened. Mm -hmm. Um, So... Uh, that pairing of like upbeat song with then kind of drama right afterwards, for me at least, I think actually really does work. <laughs> uh, we, we're we're kind of swept away in this song, and then all of a sudden, hey, things are going to get real serious here real quick. So confession time. Like if yeah. I'm to be found humming or singing any song from West Side Story just randomly because I do just you know burst out into song. Right. <laughs> sure, randomly. sure. You know, it's either you know the Jets song mm-hmm. or I feel pretty. Right. So I will yeah. walk around the house a lot of the times just singing I Feel Pretty just because I like that song so much. I just love the way it sounds. And, hey, and, you're, and, you're, you are justified in feeling pretty. Okay. And maybe I have days where I do. I feel pretty for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I like that what you point out that, that uh, one of the things I love pointing out to my, my film study students um, is that sort of storytelling. I don't know if it's a storytelling trope. It's sort of this. Yeah, it's a storytelling trope. Sure. Uh, where you have a victory followed by a defeat. And mm-hmm. this happens in films all the time. But it's such a great way just to suck your audience in, right? Because you, you lift them up. You're like, yay, everything's happy. I feel pretty. Your husband just just, just killed your brother. So Yeah, it's like, oh, great. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah, so so I, I yeah I, I love I love having the rug pulled up from under me in that way because it's just a, I love a good gut punch and that was that's a good one. The Jets though have reassembled outside in a garage uh, with their new leader Ice. They try and refocus themselves and this is cool. This is the the cool sequence, which is them basically almost like bursting out into anger and then like hey easy like we have to mm-hmm. play this cool but like not look like we are guilty or anything like that but uh again another great choreography of them like this simmering and like mm-hmm. uh being sweaty the realities of what's going on and then being like no we have to pull back <laughs> we have to pull back yeah 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 what do you think of the song i mean cool is not that great of a song lyrically or anything like that mm-hmm. um I, I like it more for the dancing choreography than I like it for the music. I'll put it that way. Yeah, yeah. This one always feels like I'm at like a, a beat poetry reading. <laughs> right, yeah. I, no, I'm not you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, it does serve its purpose. There is, I think, a purpose mm-hmm. for it to be in there. But yes, it's not, I don't think the song itself is great. <laughs> yeah. It's not the first one I go to on the cast album. Let's put it that way. It's not the one you're humming around the house. Right, that's right, that's right. <laughs> Then after after cool happens, um, we we see Tony come back to Maria's apartment, and Anita basically knows what's going on. She knows what's going on in that room, mm-hmm. and Tony kind of convinces her, "Hey, we're going to go and meet at Docs. We're going to run away together. Like this thing actually did happen. I did kill your brother. Like he does not try and avoid this." Um, but then after he goes away, there's this duel. Uh, song that happens a boy like that and then i have a love right afterwards which is basically this argument between anita and maria about like anita's like how could you possibly be still in love with this boy after what he just did and then Mm -hmm. maria basically everybody like because i love him and i'm sorry but love is this overpowering emotion that you know because you love bernardo uh, that it makes you do crazy things and that's just the reality of what's going on Mm-hmm. I don't know. What's your interpretation of this kind of final scene where we have all the characters alive? <laughs> That's a nice way to frame it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I love a good music fight. 
Right. You know what I mean? Like, I, I love where you have two people singing back and forth and you got the interweaving melodies. Um, and I mean, the, the, the melodies in this, in this show are just bonkers. So, um, no, I just, I just love the way everything intertwines. And I remember just, again, it's been a while since I've seen it, but this, this scene is just, just drenched in red, like mm-hmm, red and mm-hmm. purple, you know? And so it's, it, again, that symbolism of like, like just murder and blood, but also love. Right. So it's, it's, uh, no, it's really well made and really, yeah, I, I love, I love, um, Rita Marino's performance in that yeah, song. I mean, yeah. Rita Marino is so great anyways, but. Oh, she, she is. But, but in that scene, you're just like, she's going to murder somebody. <laughs> yeah, like, she's scary. She's, she's like, yeah. so intense. So intense. But I love that. I just absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about, I mean, Rita Marino also won an Oscar for her role in this movie. Um, but I, I think it's a scene that we actually have not talked about on this show before that I think really needs to be called it. And it's what happens next. I think you're right. Like her intensity mm-hmm. in this scene is integral. Like there has to be a legitimate uh, counterpoint that is being made to Maria to be like, why is he, why are you still with this person? So that Maria can actually give that rebellion be like, because of this reason. And I'm sorry, I know it doesn't necessarily make sense, but love doesn't make sense. <laughs> so Anita then goes to Doc's and she declares, you know, Bernardo was right about them all, that Chino killed Maria. Like she makes up this story mm-hmm. and n- not even to parse words, but an, <laughs> the, the group of boys are going to assault her or basically it looks like are going to rape her in this movie mm-hmm. um, until Doc returns and is like, what are you doing? Uh, and like kind of reams them out there a little bit. And I think this is what shows that there is no uh, all good or all bad group of these people that both have killed, both are being awful, uh, and that I don't know if we necessarily should be sympathetic to either one of these gangs necessarily. Mm-hmm. No, I think though, I mean, there's been, again, so much at the uh, throughout the beginning of the film, we talked about it previously, where, you know, these, they, they, they seem to enjoy their conflict with each other. I mean, there's a lot of humanizing stuff that goes on. And so I think in a scene like this, it's not necessarily, I don't think the filmmakers are trying to say they were, you know, we're all capable of these awful things uh, to that extreme. But I think they are trying to say that, you know, this, if you identified with these people before, well, look, look where they've, look where they've gone, look where their hate has brought them. So um, I I think I feel rather than being, you know, repulsed by that, um, I feel sort of confronted by that. Yeah. If that make, if that makes sense? No, I mean it's 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 thrusting that into the viewer's face or the mm-hmm. audience's face and be like, you have to contend with this somehow. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't just be like, oh well, this person deserved it or that person deserved this. Like, I don't think any of these people really deserve anything that's happening to them. There's just yeah. this hatred that's overtaking them, mm-hmm. and we need to like come back to tolerance and come back to uh, acceptance of other people without having to push them away. Speaking of, you know modern relevance i know (laughs) this is why i'm so interested to see what a modern take of west side story is going to look like or if they're just going to be super beholden to the previous film or if they're going to try and update it in any way uh to make any other okay wait a minute put on the brakes here there's a modern west side story film being made yeah steven spielberg is directing it yeah what yeah next year it's going to be 2019 it's actually west side story is having this weird renaissance because the movie's coming out and there's actually a new broadway show uh, going to be mounted at the end of 2019 as well, which is for the first time is going to be using different choreography than Whoa. the Jerome Robbins choreography. So again, some crazy stuff happening to modernize West Side Story. 
oh my gosh. So you just, yeah. just, you just blew my mind, man. Blew your mind, man. Yeah. <laughs> whoa, man. Whoa, dude. Yeah, I'm looking him up on IMDb. You're right. Also, Untitled Indiana Jones Project. Ugh. Which, um, uh, we can skip that one. That's fine. Oh. I'll, t- I'll tell you there will be no singing and dancing in that movie, pro- probably. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> Wow. Okay. Sorry. I could totally go down that this rabbit hole now. Oh man. Sorry. You just like totally caught me off guard. <laughs> okay. Let's get back to, uh, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Well, to finish it off, I mean, because Tony overheard this lie that Anita said that Chino killed Maria, he runs up to the streets and basically Chino, come find me. Like, come just kill me. Mm-hmm. Um, Maria finds him first, but then of course he is then shot, uh, by Chino mm-hmm. and he dies in Maria's arms. And basically what the movie is trying to tell us is that both sides kind of see the error of their ways and or feel compelled maybe to to change or at least there's this uh, this look of helplessness and like maybe we have gone too far from both sides which i don't know necessarily if it works for me the very ending of this movie um but it's definitely uh, dramatic and and uh <laughs> works into i think what the movie has been building up towards uh but i think each individual person is going to have uh a different interpretation of if it works for them or not. Yeah. I, I, and I, yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree with anyone who's like, nah, I didn't, I didn't like that, but I mean, it, it, it worked. I mean, it came to its sort of logical conclusion. And I mean, the Romeo and Juliet story is so ingrained in, you know, yeah. in our minds already. It's like, yeah, okay. Saw that coming. You know, I mean, heck even, even, you know, Shakespeare gives away the ending in the first like four lines of the play. Right. So, right. <laughs> so uh, I, I think what, I think what the little bit of a subversion that goes on here is that Maria survives. The Juliet character survives mm-hmm. in this movie where I guess we are coming to expect that she'll kill herself because of, of the love she had, but she's actually going to hold on to that. So mm-hmm. uh, where does that go? When is the West Side Story 2 going to be made? Who knows? <laughs> uh, well, didn't you hear Spielberg's making it? Man? Spielberg. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think uh, it's in a way, I think it's a stronger choice. I mean, if, if we're going to compare it directly you know, to Shakespeare, um, it's a stronger choice to have Juliet live because, I mean, you know, when you die, you're, you're, it's, you know, <sighs> this is a terrible thing to say, but it's like an easy out, if you will. Sure. I mean, because she, she doesn't, you know, then they're both dead and all the hate has had its, you know, has fed on its victims and, we're done. Mm-hmm. Whereas now it's like you can see that there is has to be something next, right? Right. You have to you have to live with this now, right? And that's living with something is a lot easier than dying with something. I think that I think there is that that emotional weight there. Yeah, you have to live through this here now. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's actually <laughs> to to quote from a modern show in Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a lyric that says that exactly that, like dying is easy, living is harder, right? Like you have to, uh, you don't just go and sacrifice yourself needlessly, like living through this and, and working through it and finding a solution, uh, while harder to do is going to be the right thing to do, um, instead of senseless violence and killing people. Mm -hmm. And I mean, how fitting that you should, you know, conclude our little analysis here with a line written by a Puerto Rican. So there you go. That's right. There we go. Um, so overall. I mean, again, I'm kind of leading the witness here, but uh, do you think that West Side Story is still relevant in our modern times, both as either a film or just a piece of art in general? Yeah, I mean, from a story-wise point, absolutely. the 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 actual film itself, I mean, you know, it's it's very much a product of its of its time, and you can see. I mean, the '60s was sort of that period in Hollywood where they were turning towards more experimentation, more you know, uh, director-driven. Sort of the auteur theory started to take over. So, and this was kind of 
somewhere in between those two, right? The death of, of like the MGM musical and then you know, the, the start of, you know, this is like the 60s brought us, you know, like Easy Rider and, yeah. you know, all that kind yeah, of stuff. It's, you know. it's, it's a crazy to think of like how different Hollywood would be and even just five years from when this movie right. <laughs> is released. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's like, so you're taking the sixties and the fifties, you kind of smash them together. And there in 1961, you get West Side Story, which kind of got that very modern feel to it, but also that, you know, the classical sort of big studio, uh, musical feel as well. So it's, it's, it's kind of a neat, um, artifact if you will. And I think it's definitely worthy of study, uh, you know, um, Man, I'm such a nerd. It's worthy of study. No, it's a great film. Go watch it, right? Yeah, it is. I, I, I still, I do <laughs> still enjoy it. And to return back to our old man yells at cloud, uh, <laughs> uh, thing that we've been going through with on this podcast, I, I yearn for there to be a return to that. I think that La La Land was an attempt at bringing back the studio musical to what it used to be, uh, just without like a singer and dancer <laughs> in, in the lead roles. <laughs> so I don't know what the solution to that is, but I would like to see that again. As much as I, um, I like, for instance, like Chicago as like an updated retelling and an interesting way to go through that story. Uh, I don't know. There's there's something about the classic way to frame the MGM type musicals that mm -hmm. I just would like to see once or twice more <laughs> attempted yeah. at least. Yeah. I hear you. It's, it's, um, yeah, I, I love the, the, the size mm -hmm. of those musicals. They were just, they felt so big to me in, in a way that modern musicals in a lot of ways don't like them. The big one right now, uh, the greatest show, right? Right, right, right. Re like love the music movies. Okay. Uh, but if it's, it feels, it still feels kind of small, even though it's about this big stuff, right? Whereas West side story, I mean, they do so much just to like, make it this big thing mm -hmm. you know so so yeah i i i mean yeah you can just feel the size on the screen maybe it's because it's shot in 70 millimeter maybe it's it's probably because of a lot of reasons but um i certainly yeah i i too uh yearn for the good old days <laughs> we're back to getting off get off my lawn right. right well i'm gonna go to my rocking chair here in just a moment but before i do uh thank you so much for joining me here tonight shane this was yeah. great um if people wanted to could they find you online and uh, see what you do absolutely they can um i live my life on twitter I'm just at the Ed Podcast. Um, my podcast lives at the edpodcast.podbean.com. And, you know, those are your two best bets for sure. And, uh, of course, you know, the podcast is available everywhere Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podcatcher of your choice, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Big thank you to the Alberta Podcast Network, as we're both members of that uh, organization. So shout out to them. Uh, and yes, thank you once again, Shane. Hey, it's been a blast. Thank you, sir. Thanks for listening. I truly appreciate it. Thanks to the Alberta Podcast Network, to ATB, and to Back to School again this week. Please fill out that survey if you can. If you have additional feedback, comments, questions, or a great guest idea, please send that to puttingittogetherpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you to Terrence for being one of our Playbill-level patrons. Again, we're going to be on a sabbatical for the next few weeks, but we will return on December 26th with Gypsy. Also, a big thanks to the always great Chris Taniguchi, who designed the podcast artwork, and to Nick Driscoll for composing our theme music. For now, we've reached the end of our episode. Yes, I know. Goodbye for now. Uh -oh.